we're going to begin a new series. And the series is called God of Abundance. And we're going to walk through four stories. And each of them are going to involve bread in some way. In Scripture, bread also symbolizes wisdom. And so anytime you hear bread talked about, there's an underlying theme of wisdom being offered. And that's an ancient thought that, you know, if you're like me, you just see bread and go, hmm, yeah, I want some bread, right? But we're going to start with a small image today of a little bit of flour in a jar. And next week, we're going to talk about manna, which is enough for the day. And then we're going to talk about the 5,000 feeding where they had ate to their fill and then collected 12 baskets at the end. They had so much in abundance. And then the final week, we're going to talk about a harvest so great that a guy had to tear down his barns to build bigger ones to hold it all. And we'll get to the point of it all each week. But I want you to consider bread equals wisdom. And to think about what's being offered when we hear these stories. Bread is the most basic form of food, and it's at every meal. We love our bread, do we not? And even other cultures across the Pacific, they don't have bread, they have rice, another grain. They have rice at every meal, just like we have bread at every meal. And wisdom, I will say, is the most basic and common form of life, as our scripture offers it. God had wisdom and created everything through wisdom, if you read our wisdom books. And then later, we find out that the wisdom, the logic, the logos, the word of God comes to be in flesh in Jesus to put the wisdom of God on full display for us and to teach us. In fact, Jesus even says, I am the bread of life. So he's saying something more than thinking of a morsel of grain. He's offering the wisdom of God. And he came to live as that way in flesh, the way of God. And he came to teach the way of God to Israel. And then he came to give the spirit so that we could become part of that word in flesh as the church, the body of Christ. So that's our foundation we're going to build on. So when we hear bread, think of wisdom. And then when Jesus speaks of the yeast of the Pharisees to the disciples, you see how he's working that image. Um, the disciples missed the point in Mark. But we're not going to do that because we never miss the point. Amen? We're going to try. Uh, so the next four weeks, we're going to explore the God of abundance and consider wisdom. So today we're going to hear about the prophet Elijah. And that is 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 20. It's actually just all of chapter 17 of 1 Kings. So if you want to follow along, chapter 17, verse 1, you can follow along up there or in your Bible. This is the Common English Bible. Um, it's based off the New Revised Standard. Those are the two recommended by the United Methodist Church, in case you wonder what translation we're using, because some of the words may appear different than they do in your scripture. It gives you an idea. Elijah, from Tishbe, who was one of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, Israel's newly appointed king, As surely as the Lord lives, Israel's God, the one I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain these years, unless I say so. Then the Lord's word came to Elijah. Go from here and turn east. Hide by the Cherith brook that faces the Jordan River. You can drink from the brook. I've also ordered the ravens to provide for you there. Elijah went and did just what the Lord said. He stayed by the Cherith brook that faced the Jordan River. The ravens brought bread and meat in the morning and evenings. He drank from the Cherith Brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. The Lord's word came to Elijah. 
Get up and go to Zarephath, near Sidon, and stay there. I have ordered a widow there to take care of you. Elijah left and went to Zarephath. As he came to the town gate, he saw a widow collecting sticks. He called out to her, Please get a little water for me in this cup so I can drink. She went to get some water, and he then said to her, Please get me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any food, only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in a bottle. Look at me. I'm collecting two sticks so that I can make some food for myself and my son. We'll eat the last of the food and then die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go and do what you said. Only make a little loaf of bread for me first, then bring it to me. You can make something for yourself and your son after that. This is what Israel's God, the Lord, says. The jar of flour won't decrease, and the bottle of oil won't run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. The widow went and did what Elijah said. So the widow Elijah and the widow's household ate for many days. The jar of flour didn't decrease, nor did the bottle of oil run out, just as the Lord spoke through Elijah. After these things, the son of the widow, who was the matriarch of the household, became ill. His sickness got steadily worse until he wasn't breathing anymore. She said to Elijah, What's gone wrong between us, man of God? Have you come to me to call attention to my sin and kill my son? Elijah replied, Give your son to me. He took her son from her and carried him to the upper room where he was staying. Elijah laid him on his bed. Elijah cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, why is it that you have brought such evil upon the widow that I am staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself over the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, please give this boy's life back to him. The Lord listened to Elijah's voice and gave the boy back his life. And he lived. Elijah brought the boy down from the upper room of the house and gave him to his mother, Elijah, and said, Look, your son is alive. Now I know that you really are a man of God, the woman said to Elijah, and that the Lord's word is truly in your mouth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you bring us wisdom that we may eat, that we may have our daily bread. Speak to us now, guide us into your way. Let us offer ourselves at this time and just receive. And may what I offer through my words and may what we receive through our ears, may it all be acceptable and pleasing in your sight and in your sight alone, Lord, we give this time to you. Amen. Amen. Have you read that story? Have you heard that story before? Pieces of that story? It's a strange story. This is the arrival of Elijah, one of the, the great prophet from the Old Testament, this is the opening scene of his time working in the land of Israel. Quite a scene. Now, to give some background, if we go back to chapter 16, what's just happened at the end is Ahab has become king of Israel, and in an effort maybe to create an alliance with the enemies in Sidon, uh, he has married a princess from Sidon. Uh, her name is Jezebel. Have you heard that name? Sometimes we throw that name around. Don't always know what it means. But taking Jezebel into his home means that he needs to provide for her, including the religious practice of which she practices. So he 
builds altars and he puts poles up in Israel to worship her God. Her God's name is Baal. Have you heard that name? Baal. Now the word in Hebrew means owner or master. So I'm going to refer to Baal as the master. Because when they say Baal, they're saying the master. And so the master is the God of the Canaanites, the God of rain. Baal's the God of rain. There are some gods that are the gods of the sun, some that are the gods of the war, some that are gods of the dead. Israel's God is God of wisdom. The master is God of the rain. And Eliza shows up on the scene as soon as this atrocity has happened, as soon as these things are erected there that are now directing worship to the master. And he says, as surely as Yahweh lives, Israel's God, the one I serve, there will be no dew nor rain until I say so. He's challenging the master face to face. So Israel's an agricultural society. They're farmers. They need the sun and the rain. They're both good. Sometimes we put the sun and the rain as if they're opposites. They're not. In Scripture, they're good. God brings the sun and the rain upon the righteous, unrighteous, good things. They need that. But here, it stops. So Elijah has to leave the land. He's directed out. Uh, Probably a good thing because he's just challenged everything Ahab, the new king, has done. And so he goes and he's sitting by a brook. It's like a ravine that collects water from the spring rains, but it's flowing now, but one day it won't. But God says, camp there. And he says, the ravens will feed you. He's made arrangements for Elijah. Go, and I will take care of you. And Elijah trusts the God of abundance. He leaves the area that he knows where there's civilization and things for him to live, and he heads out into the wilderness, which in Scripture is the place you go to encounter evil and darkness and terror. But Elijah goes because the God of abundance said, go. So now the word in your translation says, might say raven, Uh, Most of them do. It's an interesting translation. And I'm going to offer another perspective that I received when I got to spend some time in Israel. And uh, I'm going to explain to you who this man is. His name's Elias Shakur. You ready for me to explain who he is? This is really weird. He is an Arab, Israeli, Palestinian, Greek, Catholic archbishop. I'll say that again. An Arab, Israeli, Palestinian, Greek Catholic Archbishop. He was born in Galilee. His parents became Israeli. And then he moved to Nazareth, where he now has a church as the Archbishop. And he's been nominated for Nobel Peace Prizes. He's a really fascinating man. I give you some of that because what he suggests is really kind of strange. And I want you to know that this guy doesn't just come up with strange things. I have a lot of respect for him. So the word for raven, if you wrote it in Hebrew... We'll see it up here. Go to the next slide for me. There's some Hebrew words. There we go. That's Hebrew. You read from right to left. If I wrote that in English, that top word, it would, it would read A-R-B. A-R-B. And those are consonants. They're not vowels in Hebrew. The vowels are these little dots and dashes. Now, the original Hebrew didn't have the dots and dashes. So either you knew how to pronounce things or you didn't. And then sometime later several hundred years before the birth of Christ, maybe, or or maybe even after, the Masorites came and put dots and dashes in to help people learn how to pronounce stuff. Um, So we could pronounce it one of these ways, same letters. This way says, O-Rabe, O-Rabe. This word says, Arab. 
Arab means raven. Arab means Arab. So who fed Elijah? Well, according to Elias Shakur, he says Arabs fed him. When he left Israel land and entered into enemy territory, Arabs baked bread and got meat and prepared and bring it to him. It's an interesting perspective from a Nazarene born in Galilee who is an Arab, Israeli, Palestinian, Greek Catholic archbishop. I offer that for you. You read it how you feel led to read it. Elijah is provided for an enemy territory. That's the point. In an anonymous way, we really don't know much about who or what. There are no names given to who these people or, or things were, these birds. He goes directly to Zarephath near Sidon. Now, something to understand. Remember who was from Sidon? Jezebel. Jezebel's from Sidon. She's a Sidonian princess. Elijah ends up going right next to Sidon, right into the land of the master Baal. And there he encounters the widow who's going to feed him. He asks for the last bit of, of bread, of flour that she has. And she says, as surely as Yahweh your God lives, I don't have any food, only a handful. I'm getting ready to die. I'm preparing a final meal for my son and I. And Elijah says, don't be afraid. Go and do what you're going to do, but fix for me first. That's quite a request. Mothers are out there thinking of your children. That's quite a request. She trusts Elijah. She trusts that he speaks on the behalf of not her God, but the God of the enemy, the God of abundance. She houses him, feeds him. The oil and the flour never ran out. She takes the leap of faith. And she's rewarded. But the interesting thing is, is then her son gets sick and is no longer breathing. And suddenly she wants to know, is your God here to punish me and to kill my son? It's as if her understanding of this God is suddenly shaken. The God of life has become the God of death to her. When Elijah carries him up and, and works this miracle, and he even cries out to God, God, what, are you bringing the evil here? Heal him. And he does. And then she says, now I know that you're a man of Yahweh and you speak truth. The Sidonian woman says to the prophet from Israel, your God, your God's the God of truth. So much depth and political implication in this personal story. Uh, so here we are, many centuries removed from that story. We're in our own famines today. We know of supposed enemies in our lives in the presence of temptation to serve other entities. And we call those entities many things, right? Being in style, being enough, having the right car, home, pursuing the right dreams, having the proper size 401k, even some of these things we turn into idols. Amen? Is it just me? We're pressured to compromise our way of life. We're tempted to abandon the way of mercy and truth. The call to go and make disciples even so that we can rest in our own judgment and, and seek our own security through violence and might. And we're ready to violently defend. It's something we need to wrestle with. We're tempted to trade our patience and our steadfast love of God and neighbor for an angry demand that things go my way right now. Anybody with me? We're facing political realities that 
challenge our ability to remain at peace with God and peace with one another, any one another. We face environmental realities that challenge our ability to remain calm and unafraid. We're facing health issues that challenge our bodies and that challenge our ability to find the unshakable joy of God. We want it, but sometimes it just seems out of grasp. Some of us are facing eviction, health scares of loved ones, the stresses of our jobs, which seem to just continue to pile up until it's a tidal wave waiting to crash down and destroy us. We face the fear of people we care about not being a part of our faith, and that's scary. We face migraines and injury and surgeries and brokenness from our past that haunts us, stress about the future which paralyzes us. Some people are, I've I've heard pain shared in this group that people have fought and died for their country in a war that no one respected, and to, to this day they've never even properly been thanked. And some of those same people are now sending their children or their grandchildren off to go fight. And they're terrified. We have frustration about younger generations. We have frustration about older generations. Uncertainty about where things are headed in the next 14 months. I mean, in the next six months. The next 14 years. Where are we going? What's going to happen? Here we are. Do you have fear? You can raise it. This is a place we can be honest and vulnerable. The sanctuary, a safe place. Do you wonder if it will ever rain again? Up until the bread and meat arrived for Elijah on the side of that brook, whether it was by bird or Arab, if you were he, would you have been wondering, what am I doing here? Is, is, am I really going to be taken care of? I have left the safety of the civilized, and I'm here. No one's here. Am I actually going to be provided for? And until that first meal showed up, I wonder if he thought, am I crazy? Did I really hear God? Do I really know what's going to happen? Am I truly going to trust that sustenance will simply arrive out of nowhere? But then it did. And then I wonder, as he ventured closer to Sidon, into the territory of the master, the god of rainbow all, and then demands the last bit of flour from a widow who's preparing the final feast. And I wonder if he thought, is this cruel? Am I sure about this? This is too much, God. Will it really work? I mean, how could it? Things are looking pretty bad. Will the flower run out? Did I just sentence these strangers to an earlier death? But then it didn't run out. And the whole death to resuscitation thing at the end of the story, this wonderful miracle, can you imagine having experienced all that, how Elijah walked back to Israel to confront the corruption? You think you had a little bit of confidence that things were going to be okay? That maybe God was going to do miraculous things when God says, go? Yes, but even he doubted. Because later in the story, when Jezebel hunts down and kills the prophets, he flees and runs and goes to Mount Sinai, or Mount Arabia, depending on who you talk to. (laughs) He leaves and ends up on a deserted mountain, wondering where God is, ready to die. 
Even Elijah had doubt and fear. I hope you take comfort in that. Even Elijah. But if we think back, we picture Elijah on that mountain later, looking back and remembering what happened in Zareth, along the brook, the God of abundance, never runs out. Never. And never runs away. Ever. And maybe you have current struggles. Maybe you have your past triumphs, even miracles. You can think back on miracles. Maybe they were just within the last week. Maybe they were within the last month or year or way back when. We look at Jesus, the bread of life, and know that we have proof of God's abundance right there in that and right there on that altar when we take of the bread today. Now, God has given the Son to us, for us. Amen? God has given the Spirit to us, for us. Amen? Maybe you're staring down your last bit of flour in the jar. And maybe that flour is your last bit of hope. Your last bit of money. Your last bit of patience or time or mercy or forgiveness or your joy or your generosity. And you just have that left. Will you give it away? God asked you, would you give it away? Will you lay down your fear and trust that the God of abundance will never run out? Will you give yourself to Jesus Christ here and now? If you haven't already, then come during our prayer time and let us pray with you. I know there's a whole bunch of people that will get up and pray with you because we want to walk with you on this path of the God that never runs out. If you're not on the path, come. If you are on the path, stay on the path with a little more vigor in your step. It often takes unconventional trust to witness an unprecedented miracle. I'll say that again. It takes unconventional trust to witness the unprecedented miracle. Will you trust? Thank mm-hmm. you.